Welcome to T-Ball. I'm Tommy Morris. Today we have manager of the Arizona Wildcats, Chip Hale. Chip, thank you so much for joining us. And, and how's the team looking this year? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, the team is looking good. We just finished our fall uh, team phase of our practice practices. We're going to start our individual stuff today. Um, but uh, it's a new team, young team compared to what we had the last couple of years. Uh, exciting. We're, we're excited to see how they perform in the spring, but uh, so far, so good. So again, in this podcast series, we're going back to all the way back to youth, all the way through now. So kind of a journey in your process to becoming the manager manager of the University of Arizona. So we'll start with with like the youth stuff all the way back to when you were a kid. When did you first of all, how many sports did you play growing up? And then when did it start to narrow down? Yeah, I played anything I could, whatever season it was back then. You know, this is in the 70s. So we didn't have um, all the specializing that, that goes on today with kids uh, at a young age. So, I mean, soccer, football, basketball, uh, swam, wrestled, um, baseball, of course. But, um, yeah, I tried to play anything I could. I, I was a you know, we were outside all the time back in Cupertino, California uh, is where I grew up and played Little League baseball for Cupertino National. Um, then we moved up to Moraga, California, where I went to high school. And, um, you know, obviously in high school, you have to narrow it down a little bit. And I played uh, my freshman year, I played football, basketball and baseball uh, and then narrowed it down to ba uh, football and baseball and played football all the way through my senior year. And then uh, obviously came here to the University of Arizona and uh, played baseball and went on to play, obviously, for the Minnesota Twins, a little bit for the Dodgers. And then went on to coach. But, yeah, we, you know, I always felt like the ability to play other sports, um, you know, gave you athleticism. And we talk about that with our recruits. It's funny, this this group we just committed in 24, Tommy, um, they all just played baseball now for all their high school years. And it's interesting because when we talk to young kids, um, you know, we tell them, hey, don't stop playing. If you're a good basketball player, you know, play, keep playing. If you're a good soccer player, if you love football, keep playing. Um, we're not so worried about the injuries. Uh, we feel like athletic-wise, it helps you in the long run. So growing up, we'll focus more on like the high school era. So you said football, <laughs> basketball, baseball, then drop the basketball, just football, baseball. Did you like baseball more, football more? Was it kind of a 50-50 thing? <laughs> Where, how did you kind of figure out, I'm actually probably going to do baseball when it when it comes to, to doing this after high school? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you know, I'm not a big guy. So <laughs> back in high school at Camp Lindo High School, and I was I was pretty good. I mean, I had offers to go to small schools. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually, I liked them all. I mean, I loved basketball. I loved to wrestle when I was in middle school. Um, so there wasn't a sport that I didn't love and I don't love watching now. So it's hard for me to say, you know, baseball was my favorite growing up. Um, you know, they were all, they were all fun. Uh, it's just body wise. It, it, it kind of played out that baseball was going to be my best chance to go to the best school to play and get the best education. So we'll kind of compare the recruiting process then to now. So at what point in your high school career did you kind of understand, I'm going to play this division one baseball. This is going to be the thing. Versus now, it feels like it's a lot earlier. The kids kind of know or they're identified. How does it kind of compare? Yeah, it's 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 actually kind of coming back to the way it was for for uh, my group. The new rules. We went back to the. Um, we were not allowed to talk to juniors till their um, 
till August of their junior year. So it when I first got the job here, uh, we could talk to anybody. We were basically talking eighth graders, ninth graders, and committing them. And um, now you can't really even contact or be contacted by them until their August of their junior year. So I, it's kind of nice. The kids actually get to grow up a little more before we have to make a decision on them. Um, there's there was so much guessing that what ended up happening is is these schools we would commit a kid as a freshman and all of a sudden, you know, he was you know on pace to be a really good player and all of a sudden he didn't he didn't get any better or he didn't grow or he got, got too big for his position, and and schools have to end up you know taking the offer away or the kid gets so good that some schools um, let's say they commit to you know, a, a mid-major and all of a sudden they're, uh, they're, they're better than that. They feel like, and they end up decommitting from the school. So it was, there was a lot of messiness to it. I think it's getting back. You know, I, I didn't get recruited really until my junior year. Um, I was planning on going to the United States Naval Academy. I'd gotten my appointment, I gotten accepted. And then, you know, baseball started to get better and better for me. So Arizona came in, USC, there was a lot of schools. And so I, I decided to take my chance, you know, instead of going um, to the commitment of, of the Naval Academy. So, yeah, I think it's getting a little bit back to that. But we're still looking at kids when they're freshmen, sophomores. We see them in all these tournaments we go to. We didn't have that back then, you know, Tom. We, we, we basically just played American Legion baseball from our freshman year on with the same group of guys from our area, maybe three high schools put together. So. Um, you know, that's how people saw us. You know, if we were good, like my team was, we went to the World Series in 1982 and got a lot of uh, recruiting love that way. Um, but other than that, it was just by word of mouth. Scouts had a big part of it back then. We're now we're at every event you can be at. So how helpful are these events for you guys when you're recruiting versus having to go through the route of talking to the high school coaches and stuff like that? What, what percentage is Club stuff versus high school stuff. Well, yeah, you're you're gonna identify most guys now um, through the club stuff. You really are. That's just the, the fact of the matter because of all these summer events that we go to. The one thing here at the University of Arizona that we really um, bear down on um, good is one there. once, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they like that. Once we identify somebody, we go to the high school coach. We're very um, cognizant that these high school coaches. Um, are with these kids a lot more during the year. They know their academic standing, um, what kind of kids they are in the community. Sometimes the, you know, the um, club coaches are there to promote the kid more than anything. And uh, we don't get uh, the, the good look that we do from the high school coach. So we, we really include the high school coach in most of our recruiting uh, and then that that's another part of it is the connections you you build. Obviously, you connect you you connect with these uh, travel coaches and and people who run these programs. There's some really good guys out there um, that we trust, and uh, they've gained our trust. And then they're the high school coaches from the LA area, the San Diego area, uh, the Northern California area that we really trust, and we have a good connection in, in um, Chicago now too. So that's kind of where we 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 put our time. And uh, so we really look at everybody and talk to everybody we can about a certain uh, player. And so what, what would you say for a kid? So maybe some kids can't go to all the events because they are playing football because they're playing basketball. How does that impact the way you can recruit them? Does it almost help their kids? Cause oh, they're too busy and they're, they're doing other stuff or is it more difficult because they're not at some of those showcases? Yeah. I think that's what ends up happening is these kids are like, you know, I'm a pretty good football player. 
as a sophomore, but you know what, man, I'm not getting out there enough in the fall. And, and these other guys are passing me up on the perfect game rating system. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of sad to me because like I said, at the start, I really value the, the, the two, three sport guys um, to me, they come in here and they, they just, they just are more athletic and we can do more, more things in the teaching part of it. But yeah, I think that's a big part of the, the kids start to narrow it down because they feel like they're losing, um, you know, the chance to be recruited by schools. And I'm hoping that the, you know, the later time that we have now, the junior year will help us with that because um, when we call these coaches, we're like, you know, they'll, they'll tell us, Hey, he's a heck of a quarterback or he's a heck of a wide receiver or running back. And we value that. So um, I'm hoping that they don't stop playing, but I understand why they do. Um, they feel like those rating systems, whether it's the PBR or the PG, you know, those things are, those are huge to these kids. How, how much do you guys, I mean, obviously it helps you identify some kids, maybe that fall through the cracks, but if they're on a rating list that you hadn't heard of them before, but is it, is it in any way, shape or form of value to you guys as a recruiting staff, or is it just kind of like, another thing another metric essentially yeah i would say no not at all we don't we don't care if you know our kids number one rated pg guy in the country or the last that that's never never been a worry here for us we we look at the the player and um you know especially now i have two new pitching coaches that are fantastic um and are very uh you know analytically driven so we don't need any of that. We don't need someone else to tell us who's good. We we have good eyes. We have I have my my recruiting coordinator, Trip Couch, has been doing it for 30 years. He scouted 10 years with the Diamondbacks and drafted really good players. Um, so we know what our eyes tell us. And now we can put, you know, we get the numbers from all these different uh, services and we can uh, find some diamonds in the rough. And so you mentioned this recruiting class has a bunch of baseball only guys. So what is, yeah. is there an advantage to that? Do they come in with more of a baseball IQ? And then how fast does it, does it take the multi-sport athletes to kind of catch up if that is the case? I don't think it, it's, it's, it's a huge advantage. We have one that came in this year that was an all city basketball player here in Tucson. Um, and he has as good a chance to start at third base for us as, as anybody else on the team. So I think, um, I don't think it's it's it hurts or helps uh, that all you do is play baseball, to be frank with you. Did you factor that in it also? Maybe this kid isn't where this kid is, but he's been focusing on baseball and the kid who's a little bit below has not. So once we get him in, we can develop him and he projects to here. Is that is that kind of put into the equation during the recruiting process? A little bit. I think it is. I also think where they're from, you know, we've 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 kind of ventured into the Midwest a little bit. So some of the Midwestern kids, um, if they haven't had the opportunity to play um, on some of these summer programs that are based out of the uh, warm weather states, um, we, we, we think of that like, hey, you know what, He's this guy might not be quite where player A is, but um, in a year he might just pass it. So, yeah, we think of those things. Speaking of areas, and again, I'm not asking you to, to talk about Arizona specifically, but with the conference realignment and everything – do you think it'll affect where some schools recruit out of based off the new footprint of the conference, or is it going to stay the same? No, I think it's, it's, it, it'll change a little bit. We're hoping to stay very active in California. Um, you know, we've been really strong in Northern California. We have not been very strong in Southern California for uh, three or four years now. And that's, there's a lot of factors in that it has nothing to do with conference realignment. Um, 
you know, UCLA, USC going to the Big Ten, was that going to bother them? We'll see. You know, who knows? Who knows what these kids are looking for? Um, us going to the Big 12 and and I think, you know, playing a really good schedule is going to be important. But, you know, it's, it's going to hurt us that we don't, you know, go to L.A. and play one of those schools every year. You know, we're going to schedule like next year we're going to play at um, University of San Diego just to keep our – our, uh, like you said, our footprint in California a little bit, and we'll try to play at USC or UCLA every few years. And, um, but yeah, we're, I think the Texas side of it being in the Big 12 now, we're going to be more active there than we have been in the past. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it should be interesting. So, so going back to again, your journey, so playing career through high school, then college, what was the biggest step that you had to take? from being a high school athlete to college athlete? And what are some of the things you see in your players that probably are going through the same thing? Yeah, you know, it's like anything else. Like football, we always hear them on the on the broadcast, you know, whether you're like a college playing at U, you know, USC Washington this weekend and, and, you, and then they go to the NFL, they always talk about the speed of the game, right? So the high school speed of the game compared to the, you know, college speed of the game to the pro speed of the game, it's, it's the same way in baseball. I think um, – you know, kids have to get used to it, and then they have to realize in the end it might be in their head sometimes too that they they stay speed up too much. So I think that's one of the biggest things I had to deal with. Um, everybody's good. You know, and I've had some parents call me, the, a freshman that are struggling a little bit with a bat and asking me what's going on, and I am said, well, they've never, you know, they've never faced – 88 to 95 consistently you know they've they faced him every now in a showcase they'll face a guy throwing you know a, a future first round pick throwing 95 96 but the rest of the guys are throwing you know 79 to 85 so yeah all those things they have to catch up to and um at every level you step up to you have to be a little better on the defensive side and and you know most of the kids here that are new have no no idea um, the intricacies of the base running and and the um, mental game that we that we you know demand here. And so making that jump again, well, more jump for you was college to minors and, and professional baseball. First of all, when did you know you were similar to high school, right? When did you know you're going to be identified to be drafted and that kind of stuff? And then where 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 was the the, the toughest learning process through the minor leagues? Yeah, I think that. Um, in, in high school, I played on a really good team. We had a first round pick on my team. I didn't really worry about whether I was going to get to play pro ball. I was just excited to go play college baseball. Um, I didn't get drafted in college till my senior year. Um, I wasn't a big guy. I could really hit, um, and I performed my way into getting an opportunity to play. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a, an adjustment, but not as bad because the pack at that time we played in what they called the six pack it was part of the pack 10. And we just played uh, Arizona state, USC, UCLA, Stanford and California. So we played those schools, you know, for 30 games. So we played three games at home, three games on the road with them. And they were all big time programs. So we were playing big time baseball. We were traveling like major leaguers on really nice planes, staying in great hotels so going into the Meyer Leagues was was a little bit of a culture shock because now you're riding buses, you're staying in not very good hotels. <laughs> but the baseball part of it, I felt like I was almost ahead of the game in A ball. Um, now going stepping up to Double AA, A, Triple A, that was different. Now now you're playing against really polished ball players and pitchers who could do different things to you that you've never seen. Um, but when I first signed, I felt like I was almost more prepared than most of the guys that were there. 
which I'm sure is a good thing for, for your guys that are getting drafted now, being able to bestow that on them, that they're going to be a little bit ahead of the game. But so then you, you make it all the way to the majors, you're up there. And then at what point did you realize I kind of want to start coaching or is that something you didn't think about until after retirement? No, I, I, I knew, I knew in the minor leagues that I wanted to coach. Um, the hard thing was once I got married, it was just to convince my wife into letting me do it <laughs> because one of the um, things we talked about before getting married was, you know, I'm good getting married in this baseball thing, but you know, you're not going to coach. I'm like, Oh no, 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 I'm not going to coach. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh boy. So that was the hardest part was just getting my wife, Judy, to, to be okay with it. Um, and understanding that that was my passion. And so once that was cleared up, um, it was great. I mean, I, I love coaching. I love teaching. I love developing players. Um, so doing the minor league thing was, was, was a really cool thing for me in the Diamondback system and seeing so many guys develop and get to the big leagues. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was something I always thought about. Um, but it was, that was probably the hardest sell was with a wife. <laughs> well, yeah. So you got to the bigs, not only as a player, but also as a manager. So thinking about the, everyone always kind of thinks about the players process to get to the bigs, but as a coach or manager, what are, what are some of the tips you might give to some of those guys of how to keep advancing up the levels or, or, you know, even if it's something like going from being a high school coach to a college coach, like what, what is, what is the best way to set yourself apart? Yeah, I think it's just your ability to and show people that you you can develop players. I think some some people think, well, you have to be a major league player to be a major league coach or manager. Um, and that's really obviously not true now. And it was it was never been true. The some of the best coaches I ever had and and instructors and people who taught me about the game uh never played in the major leagues never played in the minor leagues, you know, never even got an opportunity, but they were just um, so educated on the game of baseball. They could teach you. Now it was harder when I started out to, you know, it was obviously a, an advantage that I played in the major leagues that I got to the major leagues as a coach and manager uh, to, in today's game. I don't think it has anything to do with anything. It's almost like it's better not to have played in the big leagues. We look at mostly staffs that are putting put together. Um and it'll go back and forth, you know, with with one team. For example, this year you're seeing um, Bruce Bochy managing a team, obviously one of the greatest managers in the history of baseball, coming back out of retirement. And then Tori Lavella, who's a lifetimer, who played in the major leagues and played in major college. So you're going to see more teams now go back to that kind of manager. And then, you know, it's going to go back and forth. It's, it always will. It feels like to me, though, like some of these managers, it's like part psychologist, part baseball coach type thing. Like what how would you put like the formula together to make a great manager? Like how much of it yeah. is the mental stuff? How much of it's the physical? Yeah, I, I think it's more mental. A hundred percent. I think that these guys, Bob Melvin, who I worked for for years, um, was just so good at, at reading a clubhouse and knowing what they needed and knowing and being just a real cool, calm calm person on the bench and, and when he needed to let him, you know, have it, he would let him have it, but very rarely. And um, just knowing each guy and that that's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, that's why sometimes you'll see your best teachers and instructors um, of different, you know, pitching, hitting, catching a ground ball, throwing, uh, stay down in the lower levels because that's really where guys learn how to play. As you move up, for me, the 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 physical part of the game is not as refined as the mental part. Those guys at the higher levels have to have a better idea of how to handle people. And it's, you know, whether you're a coach of a baseball team, football team, basketball team, 
or you're working in, in business and, and leading a corporation, uh, it's all the same. It's just knowing how to, to, to lead and, um, and manage people. And then the last question I'm going to ask you again, thank you so much for your time. You, it, put yourself in the shoes of a high school kid. I'm hitting seventh on my varsity team. College probably not going to happen baseball-wise, but I want to stay in the game. I want to maybe coach, stay in the game somehow. What's What are the best steps they can take? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I When I you know obviously came here two years ago, this is our third year here as a staff, um, we have you know team managers we have um we have a really sharp analytics group and when i hired my new player development coach um who's a young uh pitch shape uh pitch shaper he's an amazing guy that was at 24 working for the detroit tigers and when i hired him as a player development coordinator here to help with our pitching the one thing he said to me and i never i never thought of this he goes you know we're the University of Arizona. We're here to develop major league players, obviously, but there's a lot of other ways to get to the major leagues. And so we went to our um, engineering department, our business department, and we had this sort of an open casting for this group. And now we have this really strong um, analytics department. And the kid that, you know, we have is uh, Jackson Del Rosario who works for the Diamondbacks in the summer. And he's actually up at the World Series helping them out right now. And he'll probably get to the big leagues before most of our players do. So we're trying to develop guys on the analytics side, um, on the coaching side, because some of these managers I have will end up, you know, being really good coaches in high school and then moving on to college. It may be a tougher road because you haven't played, um, but there's no reason you can't hook up when you go to college, go to the baseball program, uh, try to get in somehow, some way. My, my recruiting coordinator, Trip Couch, his daughter was the uh, worked for the baseball department when she was at University of Mississippi at Ole Miss, and now she's um, the assistant scouting director for the Texas Rangers in the World Series. So she's, you know, that's an amazing thing. Never, never even played softball, but she's very organized and knows what she's doing, and that's what these organizations look for now. That's awesome. And then I guess I'm going to piggyback off that one more. I, I, I said the last question, but this is going to be the last one, I promise. I, I know analytics has made a huge jump in the last decade or so. What, what do you think is the next phase of a front office that's going to explode? Is it sports psychology? Like, what, what is the next thing where you're seeing a lot of clubs are trying to hire for this niche role? Yeah, that's that's a, I think you're right on. I think it's already exploded, the sports psychology. We, we use it here. Uh, when I got here, the players, a lot of them were like, I'm like, hey, we got this great um, sports psychologist here. We've actually hired two. We have four now. Um, they come to practice. And our players were very resistant. I said, listen, I was in the 2019 World Series with the uh, Washington Nationals as the bench coach, and we would have never made it there without our sports psychologist. He was a wizard in helping these guys, whether it's Steven Strasburg or, or Howie Kendrick or these, these guys were all – all in with these people. So yeah, I think that's probably it's already booming, but people don't know as much about it as they do the analytics. Um, I think it's great. I think all these things, and if you're not going to accept any of this stuff, you're probably not going to make it. Awesome. Chip, thank you so much. Again, really appreciate your time. Good luck this season. I know you guys are about to start up. Uh, I'll let you run. Thank you so much for having me.